0: Last week in our study of Ephesians, we got to chapter 4, and uh, we learned there that every single follower of God is a called out one. And as called out ones, we're supposed to live lives worthy of the calling. And this starts with character. As called out ones, our character should be reflective of Christ. We should be people of humility, gentleness, patience, and love. But then the next thing that... uh Paul identifies for us, I thought was really interesting, and we're going to continue to look at that a bit this morning, is as um, called out ones, we're going to live a life of unity with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, and this unity is so important uh, to the Lord that it's Trinitarian in its support. The Holy Spirit and Jesus and God the Father are all pushing for this uh, this unity in in the body of of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Anyway, good morning. It's good to have you here. Amen? I jumped right in today. Some of you are looking shocked at me. Uh, if you're joining us online, good morning to you too. I'm glad you're joining us um, in that uh, way. Um, in this message today, we're going to uh, look into this topic of unity and so much, uh, so much more. I want to begin with a question in regards to unity. I want you to consider this. Um, How does profound oneness, how does profound oneness in the body of Christ actually take place? How do we truly become one? How do we truly experience unity? We're going to look at at this kind of question throughout uh, the message today. Let me uh, share with you this story. I, I want you to just listen to this now. It was years ago. Um, when we all had landline telephones, do you remember that some of you what landline telephones are? Do some of you even know what that is? It's the thing that had the rotary dials on them or the push buttons Then we thought we were really uh, moving along. Well back in the day with landline telephones uh, an earthquake had occurred in um, Los Angeles. And so this radio announcer said, the Los Angeles Police Department and emergency folks have asked us to keep the lines open so that emergency personnel can have good communication with one another. And then he went on to say this, this this radio announcer. We'll be right back after this break to give away a pair of Bill Collins concert tickets to caller number 95. Sometimes what we say and do are entirely different, aren't they? And so I want to begin today with, with a, a word of prayer that we would have alignment in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me, please? And if you're at home, I encourage you to bow your heads uh, also during this time of prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray today on behalf of all listening that you grace us to hear the truth of Ephesians 4 and to change how maybe we view church and to see our part in the church, In the body of Christ, may we be more than hearers, Lord. Grace us to be doers and to live according to your great ways. In your name, Jesus, amen. So if we're going to live a life worthy of the calling, we're going to see that our Christianity is way beyond getting saved. It means that every single one of us will begin to understand that God has called us to play a part and that we all have a part to play in the body of Christ. And Paul, as he begins now to teach on this, uh, takes us to this big thought in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. I want to share this with you. Hear what he says. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Did you notice that this phrase begins with the word but? If it begins with the word but... Paul is clarifying something for us. That little word, but, means something's going to be clarified. Prior to the statement, the Apostle Paul has said this. God is over all, through all, and in all. Over all, through all, and in all. And then he goes, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ's apportionment. What he's saying there is, you're not overall, you're not through all, and you're not definitely in all. Amen? And what he's saying to you and I is in order for us to experience the overall, through all, and in all of God, we've got to understand that we each have been apportioned a to part of that. And as we come together, guess what? We experience the completeness of it. So here's a clarification you are part of something larger than yourself if you're part of the body of Jesus Christ. Your grace not only to be saved, your grace to be equipped to be part of contributing to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to live a life worthy of the calling, you have a part to play along with others playing their part. Years ago in a life that now I wonder if it even really existed when I was younger, um, I was installing this big equipment uh, line, doing the design work and uh, the installation and all that kind of stuff. And so we were installing this gigantic turreting unwinder. And some of you who, who work in web handling might know what I mean, but most of you are going to not know what I'm talking about at all. But anyway, what this thing was, as you can imagine, it looked like a, a giant cross on the sides and, you, and had spindles. And you put these big jumbles of tape on them of liner, actually, and the liner would unwind into the machine and then you would coat onto that liner the core material uh, that would produce this foam tape, okay, right? And so this thing would turret. Once one of the jumbles would run out, it'd go and turn around and it'd splice in and it just keep going automatically. Well, this thing ran on great big humongous ball bearings, this turret. It weighed a lot. And so the the bearings were like eight inches. They were huge bearings. If you know anything about bearings, we have a picture of a bearing here that I I think will show up here. So I'm doing this a little ahead of time because first hour just looked at me with deer in the headlight look. So I thought, okay. So they had these great big bearings. Well, what happened when I bought this turret was the shaft that went from the motor that drove the turret was defective. They had done it wrong. And so it needed to have a new shaft put in. So I said to our installation team, I will do that tonight, right? Because I, I wanted to stay on schedule, and we didn't have time, and so I thought, I'll just take care of this problem tonight, myself, after hours. So, about six o'clock, I began to tear this turret apart, and I knew that there was this ball bearing in there, and I had to pull the shaft out of the middle of it, and all this kind of stuff, right? So... I take this cap off, this big cap. It has like, you know, 20, you know, Allen head screws holding that thing on. I pull this cap off. And as soon as I pull the cap off, every single ball bearing came flying out of that bearing assembly. I, it didn't have a retainer ring. I thought it had a retainer ring in it. So these ball bearings are flying everywhere. It's, it's almost like a comedy if it wasn't such a big deal. So the floor we had was like this. It was polished concrete. It was just like, it was like glassy shiny. And these barbarians were glassy shiny too. They were like, they're flying all over. I'm jumping on the floor. I'm trying to grab these berries, you know, trying to, and they're flying. Like I found some like 30, 40 feet away from the assembly. Okay. They're bouncing all over the place. And I am going, oh no, you know. And so I gather them all up, I think. There's like a hundred of them. It's a lot of ball bearings, right? And so I'm, I've got these in my little pile. I put the new shaft in. I put everything back together. And I put this bearing back together. And it feels a little sloppy. But I go, I think I got them all. I don't know how a big bearing like this is supposed to feel. But I think I got them all. I put the whole thing back together four hours. I got like three of these to do, okay? So I'm thinking, okay, I'll be done about 3 o'clock this morning. Um, and then I look down and that side of that turret on the, on the mainframe. There's a clump of grease, and there's a ball bearing. And I remember, I'm not kidding you. I'm, I'm just, I went right down like this, and I said, oh, dear Jesus. You know, and I begin to really pray. I wasn't taking his name in vain. I begin to pray, does it matter? <laughs> you know, do I need to put that bearing in there? I just let it go. I haven't seen my wife and family for, like, you know, hardly at all for for a couple months. You know what I mean? And I'm beginning to think, do I need to do this? Do I need to do this? And then I'm starting to feel sorry for myself. Have you ever done that? Oh, poor me, you know. Where's those mechanics when you really need them? And all that kind of stuff like that. Um, The things you don't want to think. Um, Finally, I thought, oh, I got to put it in. Because I knew that if I didn't put that one ball in that ball bearing unit, it would run rough. Right And it probably would work fine for a while, and then it would wear out. And, but it would have kind of a hitch a little bit and wouldn't be smooth and all that kind of stuff that we wanted. So I tore it back apart and put that one ball bearing back in, because I knew that, that without that one ball in there that it probably wouldn't run right. There's a, there's, a, there's a reason I'm sharing this story with you. The body of Christ is like that, when a part is missing. When a part isn't doing its part, the whole thing's limped up a little bit. There's a little bit of a catch. It doesn't feel right, doesn't work right it runs rougher than it's supposed to run and Paul clarifies for us in the scripture that we're reading this morning from Ephesians 4 that we have all been apportioned grace we all have a part to play God has gifted us and we all have to play our part or the body of Christ doesn't reach true unity and doesn't reach true maturity so let's go back to Ephesians I'm going to read to you uh, from Ephesians 4 once again beginning with verse 8 and go down to verse 13 listen to what is said here. This is why it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let me speak to verse 9 here quickly, and then I'm going to speak to the rest of the scripture in a a, a total collective kind of manner. When it says, he came to the lower earthly regions, all that means is that Christ became incarnate. He put on flesh and he dwelt with his creation. What does it mean that he ascended higher than all the heavens? Well, the Jews had a way of looking at heavens. They would consider atmosphere heaven one. They would consider space heaven two. And they had this kind of tier approach to heavens. So when it says he ascended to the heavens higher than all the heavens, it just simply means that Christ went back to be with God the Father. Amen? Amen. So that's all that that verse is talking about. So with that clarification, let me just return now back to the, the scripture kind of in a total way. I want to give you a big thought and then explain why I came to that conclusion. Here's our big thought for the message this morning. Jesus has conquered humanity's enemies. He has led captives in, the, in his train and has gifted his body, us, his parts, for ministry. With the outcome, this is the outcome, with the outcome then being unity in faith and maturity in the Lord. So, Jesus has conquered humanity's enemies, has gifted his body for ministry, with the outcome being unity and maturity. The verse begins with this saying this is why it says and that's a reference back to Psalm 68:18 and in Psalm 68:18 if you were to go back and read that what we read about is David returning as a triumphant king with the ark of the covenant And that's supposed to kind of create in us a picture uh, that we would understand Then applies to Jesus Christ as a king returning as a conquering king. Now, the scripture I read to you today is from an older version of the NIV from 1984. And the reason I use the 1984 version of the NIV is I just like how it says he led captives in his train. When a conquering king would come back, As part of the show of his power and the supremacy. He would chain to his chariot the ones he had conquered. Maybe the leading generals, maybe the king that was a foe. And he would lead them in this public display, kind of humiliating them on purpose, all right? Putting them in their place. And by doing so, he would say, look at what I've done. I have the power and supremacy over our enemies. And the people would go crazy in celebration. Well, get this. Paul wants us to see that picture when it comes to Christ and his enemies and our enemies. Jesus has led captives in his train. So the the question that comes naturally to the surface is, what enemies has Jesus led captive in his train? Well, the first one is Satan. In Hebrews chapter 2, we're told that Jesus destroyed Satan by his death and freed those who had been held in slavery by the fear of death. So the devil now is in the train of Christ, so to speak. He's in submission to Jesus Christ. What other enemy has been led as a captive in the train of Jesus? Hell. If you go to Revelation chapter 1, you read this. Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. So hell is now in The train, so to speak, of Christ. It's been captured by Christ. It's in submission to Jesus Christ. Third one, third enemy that's been conquered is sin. Romans 5.21 tells us that sin once reigned in death, but now grace reigns in Christ to bring us eternal life. So now... Sin is in submission to Jesus Christ. It's been put on public display, and Christ is saying, My power and su- supremacy rules over sin. And of course, the last one here is death. 1 Corinthians 15 says that death has been swallowed up by Jesus. World death is your sting, right? It's gone. It's been subdued. It's been put into submission to Jesus Christ. And the pictures the picture we're supposed to see, friends, is this, that these these enemies that plagued us are no longer able to do so. Christ has put them on public display and he has led captives in his train. He's conquered them. Like David returned as a conquering king, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to his people in Psalm uh, 68, Jesus Christ has conquered these enemies and as he returned to heaven, he's put them on public display. Amen. That's what's being said here. Now get this. I want to expand this picture because now it gets really cool. If you were to go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, uh, we're told there that the followers of Christ are led in triumphal possession. Possession. Uh, that really we too we are also chained to the chariot of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when we give our lives to Christ, he's our conquering king and we are in submission to his supremacy and his great power. That we too are, are also ones who are put on public display, only it's a good kind of thing because we're willingly do it we're submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ and that's the big difference between Ephesians 4 and, and 2 Corinthians 2 is that in 2 Corinthians 2 case The followers of Jesus Christ willingly do this and we become the fragrance of Christ to the world, of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. But get this, here's what I want you to understand. Everything is in submission to the supremacy and the power of Jesus Christ. His enemies are, and you and I are also. There is nothing that is not in submission to Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we're supposed to see in totality. As Paul referred back to uh, Psalm 68:18, part of the imagery associated uh, when a king would return after conquering his enemies is that he would take the spoils of that conquest and he would give gifts to his faithful ones. He would distribute gifts and bless them. What did Jesus do as he returned as the conquering king to the Father? What does he dispense to you and I, his faithful ones? Gifts. And this brings us to point number two God's people are recipients of gifts. And these gifts are dispensed to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus went to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to live right inside his followers to dispense and apportion his grace to us to give us gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there are three main sections of the Bible that talks about these gifts. We read about one of them today in Ephesians, but let me talk about the other two. First of all, you have the ministry gifts uh, that are given to us in Romans chapter 12. Uh, these are, are, as a ministry, I meant motivational gifts. Excuse me, okay? Just forget I said that first word. It's motivational gifts, all right? Are given to us in Romans chapter 12. And these are the gifts of prophesying, um, serving. Teaching, encouraging, gift-giving, leadership, and also mercy. These are called motivational gifts because they tend to be the way the recipient sees the world. If you're prophetic, you'll see the world black and white. If you're mercy, you're going to see the world empathetically, that kind of thing. Well, okay, so that's one set of gifts that are dispensed to the people of God by the person of the Holy Spirit. A second set is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are called the manifestation gifts. And they're called the manifestation gifts because they manifest the great power of God and his ability to do just things beyond our human capability. And so the manifestation gifts are like a, a word of knowledge, a, a, a word of wisdom, miracles, you know, that kind of discerning thing. They're just these these. these these intrusions of power and then the third gift listing we read about today is from the book of Ephesians chapter 4 they're called the ministry gifts years ago I did a little bit of a teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit I called them the M&Ms uh, of the Holy Spirit and they handed out M&Ms that some of you who are here Try, I'm trying anything I can do to get people to remember it, they taste good right they have different looks to them, M&M's, but they really are all the same substance, right? A peanut and some chocolate. It doesn't get any better than that, right? Come on, now some of you... All right, anyway, you follow what I'm saying. So the ministry gifts, we're told, are, 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 are really gifts of people. People become agents of God's grace, of his empowerment. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and, and preachers and teachers. So let's let's go to point A here. God has given... Some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for service. I am an outcomes-oriented kind of personality. I always say, so what? What does this matter? How does this benefit my life? How does this affect my life? And I, I, I tend to do that kind of thing when I, I, I'm, I'm looking at scripture like this. So, okay, what does this mean? What's the purpose? What, what, what's supposed to be the outcome here? Well, the outcome is, is, is I think, beginning to be defined when we look at the word prepare. Uh, the, the, these, these gifts of people, these agents of grace are to prepare God's people for service. Well, prepare comes from this interesting Greek word, which means to put right in surgery, to set a bone, and so basically, uh, a doctor sets a bone so what? It can function correctly. It can be utilized the way it's supposed to be utilized. And the people listed in Ephesians are there to help the body of Christ function right. Amen? To be utilized correctly uh, by, by God. And so the first one is the gift of uh, apostleship. And Paul who penned the words we're reading in Ephesians was an apostle of God, and he was used mightily by God to plant churches, and that's part of the apostolic ministry, churches planting churches. And you could see that in the apostle Paul. Also, in the early church, the apostles had this big, big uh, uh, role of, of correct doctrine, of establishing the church in truth. Amen? And so that's kind of the apostolic ministry. And then you have the ministry of prophets. They're truth tellers and they tend to be the voice in a generation that brings God's word uh, to bear on that generation and brings God's relevancy to that generation. Then you have evangelists. They're the ones that they talk to people and they're what? Very, very good at getting people to receive Jesus Christ. They just have a knack at, at just, uh, you know, Seeing people's needs and people come into the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have pastors and teachers. And they're gifted to, uh, to uh, equip and have oversight uh, of the body of Christ. So now I'm going to speak my heart. You okay with that? Because if you're not, I don't know what to tell you. You all are ministers of Christ. Every single person sitting in this sanctuary is called to be a minister of Jesus Christ. You are called, and you are called to live a life worthy of that calling. You're a player in the game. You're not a spectator. Early on in my Christian experience, I remember thinking, God, I don't ever want to show up before you one day and say I was really good at consuming. We're not called to be consumers. We're called to be contributors as the body of Jesus Christ. And so I I, I want to give you some analogies so you get the picture. Um, How many athletes would say, Coach, get in there and play the game? I'd never say that, would you? In fact, if my coach played the game, it would have been a pathetic sight. It's dysfunctional, friends. I want you to hear this now. I'm speaking, I want to speak truth to you, but I want to do so gently, but I want to speak truth. It is dysfunctional to think that me or any other pastor is to be everything to everybody. You know the reason why most churches run 80 to 100? It's because they're dysfunctional. And they're trying to let the pastor be everything to everybody. And that person that does all the ministry, To the church. No, 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 no. thousand times no. You are all ministers. And we're supposed to minister to one another. And to the world at large. Amen? Amen? Okay. I'll take the one amen. Amen, right? We're called to minister one to another. That's the fun part of Christianity. Is getting out there and doing it. We're called to be a part. Jesus has gifted every one of us to be a part. Joy is found in playing the game not in spectating. Now listen, I want you to hear this too. I will do everything I can to minister to people, and I do. I do a lot of ministry because I like to do it. It's the fun part of Christianity. But when we're a church of 4,000 like we are basically, guess what? All I can be is at some point symbolic. I just can't do it all. It's a physical impossibility. I'm going to say this to you, and I want you to hear this from my heart. It's a physical impossibility for a pastor of 100 to do it. They don't do very good at it either. It just can't be done. I I mean, can you imagine if everybody took the call to ministry seriously and if we had a couple thousand people here saying, I'll minister in the name of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how effective that would really be? Amen? And that's what God's calling us to do. So get this. This is point B. It is God's design that unity and maturity are experienced by preparation for and by doing works of service. It's part of the way that we grow up in our faith. It's by application and by actually doing it. Um, See, unity and maturity experiences. Each part sees it has a part. And there's preparing... To minister, and there's actually doing the ministry, and there's experiencing the Holy Spirit enabling, and this is living a life worthy of the calling. It's a big error to think. I'll just do my Christianity on my own. I have people tell me I don't need anybody, I I just do my, I don't need the church, and I'm going, hmm. Can you be over all, through all, and in all yourself? Uh, you okay? Christ has apportioned grace to us. We can't be all by doing it ourselves. It's impossible. Years ago, this is almost prophetic, years ago, it's like 25 years ago, I was reading this article and it was lamenting some of the things that had been transpiring in society and in the church specifically. An article said this, it used to be that people lived in houses with detached garages with no AC and all that kind of thing. So they would get home from work on a hot summer night and they would go from the garage into their house and most likely see a neighbor or two, say hi, how are you doing? And have maybe some conversation over the fence. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And then they would get in the house and it was too hot to be in the house. You need your supper. So they would get out into the yard or into the porch into the cool of the day and they'd do some natural, uh, organic kind of visiting with people who would happen to come by. Now I know some of you are farmers and you never see anybody but your family, but just imagine with me, okay? This is happening. So then this author was lamenting now, and this is a long time ago, and the article was even dated at the time I read the article. Now he's saying uh, the garages are attached with automatic garage door openers, and the houses are all AC'd. So people get home after a long day of work. They drive into the garage door, shut the door, isolate themselves from culture, walk into their house, never going outside, into the AC of the house, and they sit down with their virtual reality friend called TV and spend the evening. And he was lamenting the loss of organic kind of relational community that frequently uh, transpires. And I was, re- was thinking about that, and I think now we have a pandemic that's putting this on steroids Right? Who would have ever thought the day we live in now happening? And we have to be more purposeful than ever to, to be the, a part of the body of Christ and to say, how do you want to use me? Whether you're at home listening online today or whether you're here in person listening, we all have to grapple with this action plan that I'm about to present to you. Listen to this. Find your niche in the body of Christ, whatever that is, and minister In the gifting that God has graced you with. This is essential, friends, to living a life worthy of the calling. Find your niche. You can't be everything to everybody, but you can be something to somebody. And who knows what that will pan out to be. So I want to share with you some ideas. Prayer. You can start with prayer. If you have a neighbor or relative that doesn't know Jesus Christ, you pray for them. You know them. God's laid them on your heart. You begin to pray for them. You've been graced to do that. Chances are if it comes to you as an awareness saying it is you that are supposed to address that issue. Amen. Maybe you're a great visitor. I know a lot of you are great visitors. You can yak a storm up with anybody. Amen. Use it for the glory of God. Begin to be a little bit purposeful in doing that. Don't be overbearing, but be don't be ashamed of the gospel. Share freely with people. I, I used to love this saying by the Red Green Show. If you're not handsome, you better be handy. <laughs> I, I say that frequently to my wife. I, I need to be a handy person, right? You know? And so, so some of you are gifted to, you're just handy. Use it for the glory of God. Help somebody. It, it's such a ministry waiting to happen. Um, There's always a ministry of a smile. Man, that's so, so easy to do. Just smile at people and see how it changes the situation you're in. Be a good listener. We live in a time where people just need to be heard. Be one that will listen. Listen with empathy. Listen with interest. Bring a meal to somebody. Maybe you have a neighbor or somebody that's having a problem. Bring a meal. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Please hear this again with the right heart. Don't call me and tell me to bring them a meal. I don't cook. <laughs> I'm a terrible cook. I'm a good eater. But, I mean, I've been trying for years to make good bread. It turns out about 30% of the time. If, if you think, all oh, this family, they could really use a meal. Oh, man, they're going through a rough thing. What do you think is going on there? God is laying it on your heart, Right? Make a meal or buy them one. Amen? You're the body of Christ. You have permission. Just do it. Mentor someone or make it a point to encourage Who do you influence? Influence them towards the Lord Jesus Christ. As Ryan mentioned, here at church, we always have needs. Hospitality or prayer or or kids' ministries. These are great places uh, to serve. If you're wondering, what should I serve in or how am I gifted to serve? We have a a serve form on our webpage that'll help you go through that process. I know Pastor Dave over here would gladly help you with that process. Um, We're gonna have a phone number that'll appear up here and you can text serve to that number and someone would help you figure out how, how to serve if you wanna use that. If you wanna go to the information center out here and talk to somebody there, they will give you a serve card and they'll begin to help you to understand how to serve. What I'm saying is this isn't hard to do, amen? Or to figure out. It was years ago. I'm going to share a personal story. Because I wasn't going to do this. I put these pants on this morning like you know most people do in the morning, right? And uh, yeah, I'm being a little, thank you, Ethan. Anyway, I I pull this coin out of my pocket. I go, "What, what is this coin doing in the pocket of this pants? You know, I always do that. Who knows what's going to happen in the laundry, what's going to end up, right? So I pull it out, and it's, act, it's, a, it's, a, it's a silver dollar. or well, it's a dollar. It's not silver, but it's a, do, it's a dollar in coin form, a cheap one that's not silver. How's that, okay? And I pulled it out, and I was remind, reminded of a person that I love dearly. Years ago, at, and I don't know why the coin was in my pocket. I have no idea where it came from. I don't even know how I got this thing. It's a dollar. I don't, like, what's it doing in my pocket anyway? It, so I pull it out, and I, I thought of Mike Daniels today. And uh, Mike Daniels was a brother in Christ at at New Hope Williston. And so years ago, I was sharing a message talking about how the irritations in life can be God's blessing for dependence on him. him. And so I challenged people. uh, And I gave out three silver dollars that day or something at the service. I called up three people. I said, put this in your shoe and just wear it for a few days. And every time you step on it, Let it remind you that the things that irritate in life are often the means of grace of God in our life to do something, uh, you know, beyond us. So Mike took one of those and put it in his shoe. And um, it was several years later that I announced that I was leaving New Hope and coming here. And Mike came up to me on my last day and he took the coin out of his shoe. (laughs) And he said, I've had this coin in my shoe for years now to be reminded of what you said to me. And I, I, I was, first of all, I was just dumbfounded that he would have a coin in his shoe for years. I mean, I don't know if you've ever done that. I can't have a grain of sand in my shoe and I have to stop and pull that grain of sand out. But he gave it to me and I was really touched. And Mike and I were really good friends and we had shared a lot of life and talked a lot about Christ. And, you know, we had put into each other well, it was like, two years later that it, I heard that he had passed away from cancer. He was, about my, he was about my age. And I was just so sad. So I pulled this coin out of my pocket today. And who do I remember? Mike. And our interactions. And our friendship. And I want to tell you, God has given you opportunities To be a blessing to other people. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Step into that divine moment. Do your part. Amen. And who knows you might have an interaction someday. Where they hand you the coin. And say man this mattered in my life. And I want to just encourage you to to, to get in the game. And play the game. I want to end by reading to you a picture of what could be. That's how the rest of Ephesians Uh, that we're going to read this morning. Uh, That's how the rest of it kind of lays itself out. I'm going to use an NLT version of the Bible. That's a New Living Translation. This is a translation of the Bible that's given in modern language, just so you know. Let me read this for you. I'm going to read verses 14 and 16. This is a picture of what could be if we really start doing the things that I just talked about this morning. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. So clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth and love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So here's our conclusion today. When all parts do their part, the church of Jesus Christ becomes what she's meant to be. Amen? And that's what we want. We don't want to be infants tossed to and fro. We want to experience stability and doctrine. We want to experience unity and maturity, healthy interdependence, good growth. This is what happens when each part does its part.